we are due to start off. Uh, yes, indeed, we do have our first guest on this evening, Dr. Riza Patel. He is uh, a community activist as well, and he is the uh, representative of, uh, of the crime C Civilian Crime Intelligence Network, CCIN, who we uh, speak to this evening about a very big talking point, at least uh, in the East Rand, the areas that uh, I do come from, uh, whereby authorities have rescued 33 individuals suspected of being victims of human trafficking from a residence in Mackenzie Park. This happened on uh, December the 3rd. The operation was initiated as detectives were tracking a suspect linked to the kidnapping of a foreign national in Springfield Park, KZN, a week prior. And this is obviously uh, set the community abuzz, asking all kinds of questions, which we would obviously put to our honoured guest in the form of uh, Dr. Riza this evening. Dr. Riza, thank you for joining us once again here on Radio Islam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for having me. Shukran, Doctor. If we start off here, uh, for a bit of perspective, people not from the immediate community, exactly what happened at this house in Mackenzie Park? Okay, so there was a, a, a missing person that was reported in KZN, um, and that uh, missing person turned into a kidnapping. It was reported as a kidnapping because of the uh, circumstance. Uh, they then, uh, the investigating officer together with the uh, National Kidnapping Task Team um, tracked the data tracks on the phone and they found that it was here in Mackenzie Park in Benoni. And they came here and requalified and then there was a takedown together with the Special Task Force and National um, the Kidnapping Task Team and private security. The takedown occurred and um, the team was looking for one person who was kidnapped. And what had happened is they then found um, a tremendous number of other people that were held as um, uh, in slave trafficking uh, syndicate. And uh, look, the takedown occurred, uh, I was present there uh, together with my members of the CPF uh, from Benoni as well as the people from Vision Tactical who were part of the uh, the takedown. And um, in that process, uh, what was discovered is that the Ethiopian nationals were there, uh, kidnapped, a large number of them. There were three children. We had to bring in um, the social services. The Hawks arrived, and they then profiled this particular slave trafficking uh, type of syndicate that's there. All of the victims, uh, in brackets, victims, uh, and I say that because we're not entirely sure how many of those people that were there are part of the uh, suspects. So those needed to be profiled too. They were taken to SAPS Benoni. They were then held there in the next morning immigration together with SAPS went through that process. So that's what happened in uh, Mackenzie Park South uh, last week, a week ago uh, today. And... Um, you know, what's notable here is that it's evident that the kidnapping uh, syndicates use remote areas. And if you look at that particular area, it's a cul-de-sac. It has immediate access to the main roads. But one would have never suspected that there were people uh, being held against their will in that house. 
And, and I want to explore that uh, a bit further, Doctor, where you mentioned that this, uh, e these are kidnapping victims and, and to understand the, the dynamics of what is broadly called human trafficking. So would it be correct to say that all the, all the people involved here or you know, whoever fits that particular profile are actually being kidnapped against their will or is this, uh, could, could it be seen from another angle whereby these people perhaps willingly uh, sign up to a particular process uh, given that they feel at the end of the process they would uh, perhaps be able to secure a better life for, for themselves, for instance? Yes, at the offset, uh, one must look at this and you have uh, other countries in which people are advertising uh, work or advertising a better life in South Africa. And what they do is they then get those people to come here using whatever means, whether it's um, crossing the border illegally, coming into the country legally, in whatever means. And once they've got the people, they then hold them against their will and they extort monies out of their families, they extort monies out of their friends and whomever else. Remember, uh, it's the equivalent of you saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to Germany or I'm going to the USA. And when you arrive on the other side, you are then held captive. You have no um, ability to be able to be free. Um, you have no access to the means to exist. They hold you in a, a limited environment, which is what happened here last week. Uh, this entire group was held um, in a limited environment, one room with all of these people in it. How does that operate? And when food was given to them, you know, after the takedown occurred, the people were eating with two hands. The people were eating, they were actually choking when they were eating because they hadn't eaten for quite some time. So if you look at that type of thing, that's definitely forcible, most definitely kept against their will, and most certainly uh, in they were unwilling participants in this after the fact. In other words, at the offset, we don't know how they embarked on their journey. One knows that they ended up here, and they ended up as, um, in brackets, um, uh, slaves to the trafficking. And and talking about those conditions that you've just explained, uh, so many uh, up to thirty individuals kept in in a in a single room. Uh, have we any details then of how how this was enabled? How were these people brought into this environment with you know very few people in the immediate surroundings actually perceiving anything? And for how long were they kept here? Okay, the actual uh, facts about the matter is sub judice, so we, we can't discuss uh, the exact details of the, the particular, because people, uh, one arrest occurred, there are further arrests in, uh, you know, in, in, in a very short while, it's imminent. We, we know for a fact there's a syndicate operating there and so on. So I won't give you the fact of, of what's been discovered, but what I will tell you is what you just asked now about the environment. I must just tell you that the um, particular keeper or the syndicate leader blended very well with his environment. Um, you had him go to the masjid um, together with his uh, neighbors, his new neighbors. They'd moved in there five weeks prior to the takedown. And, um, you know, they, they made uh, absolute friends uh, with uh, the neighbors it, to the point where the person was actually going for jamaat with these neighbors. 
you know, you, you get into a mosque committee and you get into, they were very quick in what they did. And here you have a house that's holding um, uh, slaves, uh, you know, slave trafficking uh, victims. And, and the actual kingpin of that particular house is this particular individual and his, his syndicate. So it's a wider grouping. Uh, you know, we, we can't give proper description as to what and where because the police are busy with it. But it's frightening. You know, when you think that my immediate neighbor is holding that number of people and in this house next door, uh, there's this kind of thing. You know, it, it's like you wake up in the morning or you, you're going to sleep at night and you don't know what's going on in your immediate neighborhood. And it's not the only place where it's occurring. Everywhere, finding this kind of uh, issue, not just kidnapping and uh, the slave trade story, but you're finding the movement of illicit, uh, your contrabands, your illicit goods, hijacked vehicles, uh, crimes occurring where um, in our immediate neighborhood, we're not taking note of what's going on. And, uh, you know, if, if, we don't, if we're not going to be a bit nosy and find out what's happening here, there, everywhere, we're never going to know exactly what the story is. So we need to start knowing our neighborhood. Know your neighbor and know your neighborhood. Uh, that's indeed important. And, you know, uh, you, uh, no one better uh, place than yourself to be able to advise on, on, on taking this forward. A thought comes to mind as well here, Doctor, which is, uh, the I, I'm not again talking about this specific case, but in in general, uh, when homes are sold or when, when homes are, are let out, uh, you know, are there telltale signs to to look for, uh, which, uh, which which obviously could point to that this property is going to be used in a certain way, and could there be legal repercussions? if crimes are being committed at these premises for people uh, who, who own these properties? Legal repercussions, most definitely. But uh, a, a lot of the people are in the, in the road of greed, and uh, they're not renting their premises out as a 5,000 rand a month rental or 6,000 rand. They're doing it on the basis where they're now renting out premises to undocumented aliens. And when I say that, I mean people that are here illegally, that don't have proper legitimate documents, will offer them a very large amount of money. That's an immediate telltale sign to say something's not right here. Why would somebody give me three times the amount of rent that I can get normally from a South African? So you already have a bit of a sign there saying something's not right. The next thing is the consumption, the electricity payments and so on. Many of the landlords don't care. As long as they're getting their rental at the end of each month, they don't monitor uh, electricity consumption. They don't monitor water consumption. They're not monitoring what's moving in and out of their houses. They're not even monitoring alterations to buildings. You rent a premises within a week, they've gone and created two or three different rooms. You don't even know that. Nobody's inspecting the premises. It's not limited to residential. It's even business premises. They are renting to the highest rental payer notwithstanding who that rental payer is. And that's where the disease is now preset. This disease of greed, where you can capitalize at the highest level on a premises that you can rent out. They don't care, they want more money, and they're then renting it out. Look, not every, not every foreigner is evil, and not every foreigner is out here to, to do wrong. Many of them are here, and they're good people and they're kind people. The problem is that 
for as long as the person is an undocumented alien, you will never be able to have their fingerprints. You will never be able to place them at the scene of the crime in terms of who they are. Their DNA is not anywhere. Their fingerprints are not anywhere. You have no proof of them. What are you going to do? You're going to go into Somalia and go and find somebody or into Ethiopia or you're going to go into you know, uh, Nigeria and go and find a person in Nigeria. You've got high hopes of doing that. So we have a predicament and our predicament is the fact that uh, uh, we have to uh, qualify people before we give rentals to them. And they absolutely ruin your premises. If I if I look at what people are doing, they just get a hold of the premises and they just ruin it. I look at that place there, it was like a dog's dinner. Five weeks after it was rented. And that place was in pristine condition five weeks prior. So these are issues. Um, you look at the amount of garbage that's being put out. You look at the, the movement at odd hours of the night. If you look at... Uh, one can, just by sight see something particular about individuals that are moving around there. Uh, you can you can take note of what's local and what's not local. Sometimes it's difficult, uh, you know, their resemblance is of the locals, but in most instances you can see the manner of their dress. You can see the conduct. You can see the food that they're eating, etc., etc. And these are all signs that give it away to say, here is a house full of people. And it's not like the people rent one in a house or two or five. It's like 30 and 40 in a house that are, are living there. So these are used for various things. Uh, like I said earlier, contraband, drugs, um, hijacked vehicles, etc., etc. All of this is happening in, in these premises. And our guys are just, as long as they get the rent at the end of each month, they're not worried. And, and that's the, where obviously local responsibility comes to play. Um, and, and you put it down here, Doctor, to, to creed, and I'm talking here about the preservation of our own communities, preservation of our spaces if we uh, do not, you know, take, take proactive steps to, uh, you know, keep these environments to be suitable for, for our, our families and our children. Uh, nobody else is going to take those steps, but normally people would think about security, people would think about some sort of uh, infrastructure upgrade, uh, but, but also, you know, keep keeping uh, Keeping the uh, a respectable neighbourhood is or something that's that's very important that you uh, alluding to there. Um, you know, are, are you still saying that greed is the most prominent factor uh, for for be able to uh, you know to, that needs to be overcome to to avoid such of uh, such as elements and, and you know creating a mindset whereby people greed, would greed is just one element. In this way? Yeah, greed is just one element. I I think that the general apathy people don't give a hen's tooth anymore about the environment uh they believe they can just go into their house that's got electric fence and tall walls and alarms and so on and they're safe inside of it you know it's an absolute joke most crimes occur outside of your home not inside of your home the likelihood of you with a secure premises being robbed or murdered or getting hijacked is very slim compared to the minute you leave your premises. So outside of your walls is where the people find you vulnerable. Uh, and uh, what's, what's outside of your walls? It's your neighbor, it's your neighborhood. Uh, leading up to your house, uh, most hijackings occur near your home. 
So, you know, if we if we unable and you, you touched a nerve, when I say you touched a nerve there, this thing about safer uh, and more secure environments, you know, we, we have difficulties today and the people don't understand this, that in the past we could happily walk to the masjid. We could happily take the kids to the school walking on the street. We would do all, now there's traffic uh, like you cannot believe. There's movement like you cannot fathom. And there's all sorts of suspicious behavior ongoing. So you're walking in the road and you're on your phone, they come and snatch that from you. You're in your car in the driveway, they come and hijack you there. You, you're at the shopping mall and you're driving and they, they've now um, done a complete profile on you just by the jewelry you're wearing and the type of car or the clothes that you're wearing. They know that you're in the money. They follow you. You know, these are, these are difficult things, but if we have a secure environment that you come into, a safer and more secure environment where everyone's vigilant, everyone's out there looking, we can mitigate the likelihood of these things occurring. Now, in the instance of kidnappers and kidnapping, it's very difficult to know that that particular home is being used for that kind of thing, even the, the trafficking. But what can happen is if people are vigilant and they notice a, a, a whole truckload of human beings being moved, nothing stops them from phoning the police and saying, look, there's suspicious behavior here. It's two in the morning. There's a truckload of people that are being offloaded here. Can you guys come and have a look? And that's what should be happening. Our vigilance should go to a peak, and it's not. You know, the guys believe that uh, all you need to do is salah, and all you need to do is, is make dua. You know, one of the fundamental things as Muslim, for example, is to protect another Muslim. So your responsibility is your home and those in, inside of the home and then your neighbor and then others. And the protective nature of Muslim should be showing and it's not. The protective nature of others is not showing too. Everyone is just for themselves and this is so difficult. It's actually heartbreaking to say the least because what's happened is our moral fabric, which this was all built on, is so, so thin at this time. In fact, most of it is torn. It's in shards. But I mean, if you look at, uh, at, at what is left, what is left? Uh, people can uh, see that their neighbor was killed and their brains are all over the place and they'll go home and have a meal. That's what, that's what we've become. So we need to increase vigilance. We, be, we, we need to involve ourselves more in, in this particular type of thing. We now need to take note of what's going on. Uh, who's doing what? Who's this person that suddenly arrived in the area? Profile them. Nothing stops you from finding out about them. Who's this Musa Bai that suddenly arrived here? Where is he from? Let's find out. Let's, let's ask. And if you don't have a network, then there's something wrong with you because you can pick up a phone and phone someone in Fordsburg and say to them, this man says he's from there. Do you guys know him? Or Durban or Cape Town or something like that. That's the only way we're going to stop or limit this kind of thing happening in our areas. One cannot speak for other areas. You can speak for your own area. And that's how we should start. And, and lastly, Doctor, particularly with kidnapping uh, syndicates and human tra trafficking syndicates, you uh, suggested right at the outset that this happens or they choose bases in you know, outlying areas, quiet areas. Uh, are, are these the, the telltale signs to, or, or this, this suggests that uh, 
particularly areas that fit these kind of characteristics need to be extra wary of these kind of trends and syndicates? Yes, uh, we we do have a remote story, but remember in the instance where it's just one person, sometimes they might have him in a township or uh, sometimes in an informal settlement. This is what's been happening. Sometimes they actually hold the person on these plots, you know, like farms. And uh, on the farm story, it's not one person. You have a whole lot there. I mean, I remember in uh, in Midrand, uh, in Glen Austin, they had uh, 82 or 84 uh, victims that the police actually uh, um, uh, secured, and they actually uh, freed them um, on, on that particular plot there. I'm, I'm just giving you numbers and I'm giving you locations as an example. And then you've got this scenario where you've got um, a, a house where nobody can really notice because it's in a cul-de-sac. So to, to come in there, you must have a reason to come in there. It's very unlike us that are driving and, you know, we'll just drive through a suburb on a main road or something like that. This is a cul-de-sac. What is your purpose of going in there? You must be going to visit somebody. Otherwise, you're just wasting time. So the police, too, don't really bother going into these cul-de-sacs to do patrolling and so on. And moreover, if we look at certain venues for these types of, of or where they hold, you know, they're safe houses where they hold victims, they have syndication that allows them to be able to plan accurately. So they might kidnap somebody in Lanasia. You might find that they're holding the person here at the N12 uh, squatter camp, as an example. You might have somebody kidnapped in, in Amersfoort, and they might bring the person to Lanasia South, as an example, into a plot there where nobody can actually find them. You know, it's difficult. But um, I think that uh, the, the police, together with the national kidnapping task teams and some of the private security companies that are assisting them, are really doing very good work. And they're succeeding in actually ensuring that they're arresting these people and that they're freeing the victims and that they're not getting the ransoms paid. And this is so, so important. You know, I wanted to say to you that we hear of kidnappings. The number of kidnappings in truth is not revealed. We hear of maybe one or two or three or four, and we say it's getting out of control. The reality is that foreign nationals are being kidnapped in large numbers. And these are the type of people that don't open cases. And that's a huge worry for us. They, they, are, they are petrified of the police and the authorities. They are petrified of being victimized. Uh, these particular individuals, and you must remember, as much as we may call them foreign nationals, these are human beings. They are us. They, 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 they're human. And these people are victimized profusely. So on a daily basis, the stats that occur is a kidnapping where they would grab a guy off the street and take him off and extort money out of his family through a kidnapping process. They start with millions, they drop it to hundreds of thousands, they even then give the person away for 10 grand. I'm just giving you a base, uh, you know, a base for you to understand. 10 people a day, maybe, you know, uh, in, in that sphere. So our stats in terms of kidnapping and, and so on uh, is very limited. We don't have the true stats because people are not reporting these crimes. They pay the extorter fee or the, the kidnapping fee, uh, whether it's five grand or 10 or, or 30, uh, or even a hundred thousand, they pay it. 
because they want their wife back or they want their child back or they want their, their brother back or whoever it is to them. And um, then that person comes back. And in a lot of instances, when we find out about this, we go there and we, you know, we want to assist and so on. But the next thing you know is that particular foreign national has left the country. So even if they did open a case, where are we going to find them? So these are difficult times, I must just tell you, because what's happening is they are feeding the system. And that system is becoming accustomed to receiving rands or money, dollars or whatever it is that they're getting. And because that system seems to have an endless supply of money, many people, many criminals are thriving in that business. So you get all the copycats and you get additional criminals getting involved in, in kidnapping and so on. And that's what's happening now. You know, at one point we only had one syndicate, you know, the Mozambican guys, uh, linked with the Pakistanis and so on. But right now, it isn't limited to that. Everyone's doing a copycat. You're finding people from townships, informal settlements, from estates, from places that you would never have suspected and people you would never have suspected working with kidnappers but not really professional kidnappers. These guys, they take a chance. And they say, let's just grab this guy from the street, we'll get money out of him. They'll profile a little bit. They'll say, listen, he works at a radio station, surely they have money, let's grab him. They might give us 10 grand or 50 grand. And in most instances, they get it. So we have a big problem. And our big problem is the fact that this particular business has become very big. And they've tasted a large amount of money amongst our South African uh, guys who have, um, uh, you know, who've had uh, mishaps and negatives when it comes to kidnappings. And they've asked for millions, and they've got millions. And uh, so we're sitting with major predicaments. I thought I'd mention that to you, because kidnapping isn't a small thing. Uh, and then we've got, we must separate, obviously, the um, uh, slave trafficking. That's another huge thing that we we, ha we don't really have control on. And there you don't know who's being moved because we don't have a profile of those people. It's different if you left the borders of this country because then we would see it on, on the immigration system. And if you didn't arrive on the other side where you were going to go to alarm bells go off, these guys come over the border illegally. Nobody knows they're here. So nobody knows that they've been kidnapped. I think you're getting the picture of what I'm saying now. And that's how the syndicates are operating. They're operating with hundreds of people that they're taking on a daily basis. Indeed, uh, Doctor, very valuable insights. I think you've kind of set off an alarm bell to for people to uh, who are disengaged from this particular issue to be able to understand the true repercussions, not just about uh, you know an isolated incident that happened in an unassuming area, but mm -hmm. a phenomenon that very easily can take over uh, you know our own communities if it hasn't already made the, those encroachments already. Doctor Riza Patel, uh, thank you so much for speaking to us. He is from the civilian. Crime Intelligence Network, or CCIN, is also a member of the Executive Committee of the Gauteng Provincial Community Police. Watch you for your time, Doctor, and assalamu alaikum. Shukran, wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.